Welcome once again to the SEM podcast. Zach Hewlett and Jack Bryce hosting here tonight. And we're so privileged to have the uh, wonderful Lauren Samus, as we knew her in Scotland. Now, Lauren Palmer. Lauren, how are you doing this evening? Good. I'm, I have to tell you, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> oh, come on. It, it'll, so. it'll, it'll settle really quickly and oh, you'll, you'll get into your groove. We're excited okay. to have you. Tell us uh, what part of the world we're, uh, we're connecting with you. Yeah, so my husband and I, we live outside of <clears throat> Seattle, across the Puget Sound um, in Silverdale. It's close to Bremerton. And so this is Seattle, Washington area. And just love it. We just have, he is from this area and kind of stole me away when we got married to come back up here. So I haven't wow. complained. It's a beautiful area. I can understand why uh, you have a little bit of drawback from your husband having lived there. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, just to give you a quick reminder of the format of our, our podcast. So we'll talk about your decision and ultimate um, your thoughts on when you received your mission call to Scotland. Then we'll jump over the mission, talk about life since you've been home, and then we'll go back through the mission. So the floor is yours, Lauren. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Okay. Yeah, so <clears throat> I was looking over your questions today, and I was <clears throat> thinking about what really led me to, for, you know, to serve a mission. And at that time, I guess, I, you know, the age for girls was still 21. <clears throat> and right. so... I had been an EFY counselor actually at BYU um, and I had had a few weeks of, um, be, of being a counselor there at BYU and then some other areas at um, BYU-Idaho and um, up in Logan and just working with the youth and the constant testifying and being with them, um, helping them discern when they were feeling the spirit was huge. And I remember coming off of this experience and really feeling just this desire to testify of Christ, um, which led me to really consider a mission. And I had actually never thought I'd go on a mission. Hmm. Um, it was not something that was ever like on my list, to, my, my to-do list. It wasn't right. in my patriarchal blessing or anything. And so I just decided that, yeah, this, this felt right. And so um, at that time, I was at home. It was a summer. I was at home and I was teaching, actually. They had like a, they had an older group of kids that were all in, that were all home for the summer. We're all in a family ward, but we were all home for the summer. And they'd asked, they called me to be like the Sunday school teacher of this group. Okay. And um, one of the older girls who I'd grown up with, who was quite a few years older than me, her name was Andalyn Paul. She actually married Mitt Romney's son. Oh. Um, and they were in our ward and, um, just a really neat girl. And she was one of those that you probably would have never thought of would go on a mission either. Um, but she ended up going on a mission and I remember just looking up to her and just really, um, just really um, seeing who she had become and having a desire to kind of pattern my life after that. And so anyway, I mentioned it to her 
I had seen her at church. I mentioned to her, and she said, well, why don't you come over to my house and we can talk about it? So I did. I came over to her house and, you know, she was probably about three years older than me. Um, and I just asked her questions and things. And it was just really kind of, it solidified it for me, that desire to go. And we just started to get the ball rolling. Um, and everything kind of fell into place with the timing and things too. I was at BYU at the time and <clears throat> took a took a leave, I guess, because I finished that semester and um, then was off. So it was really, it kind of just fell into place for me. That's amazing. So when you received your call to Scotland, was that a surprise? Was that an expectation? Like, tell us a little bit more about that. So, um, you know, um, I met with the state president actually, and he's, you know, how they can kind of put down in, in, um, in the form where if you have a desire to serve in a certain area and I told him like South Africa or Africa and, but then as like a, it was submitted and you're waiting and waiting weeks for it to come back. You know, it wasn't instantaneous like it is now for the most part. Right. And um, I kind of was like, I kind of had like a checklist. Like I wanted to go somewhere green. I wanted to go somewhere that had an accent and I wanted to go somewhere that I didn't have to wear nylons. (laughs) So, (laughs) So anyway, I remember getting, getting the letter and my whole family's there. And actually a couple of my really close girlfriends were there too, that I, I was um, at BYU with. And we'd come to my family home in Highland, Utah. And I was opening it up and we had fam- you know, family kind of listening in on phones and everything. And I went through and I was reading it. And I remember, it, so I'm a geography major. Oh, <laughs> so this, wow. is say, okay. this is gonna say a lot. And I remember reading it and being like, you know, everyone says Edinburgh, you know, mm-hmm. going to Scotland, Edinburgh. And um, I remember thinking to myself, uh, where is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I had to like do a little kind of mental gymnastics there to kind of remember, you know. Um, oh, my so gosh. Anyway, anyway, I remember calling my grandmother, um, who is not a member. Both my mom and dad are converts. And so mm. I'm the baby of eight and my oldest, one of my older sisters went on a mission too. She went to Florida. And when she went to Florida, my grandmother was kind of like, this is not a great decision. Why would you choose to do this kind of thing? And here it is, you know, years later and I'm going on a mission. And I remember calling her up being like, Hey grandma, you know, I opened up my mission call and um, I got, I'm going to be going to, to Scotland. And now my family is all from Scotland and uh, Scotland and Ireland. And um, she just was really emotional. It was kind of incredible to see how her heart had softened over these years, you know, of so many missionaries from my family. And here I was, the caboose kind of bringing it up and how she just was really proud of me. So that was really, that was really neat. I think going to Scotland, knowing that we had Scottish ancestry just really kind of paved a path for her to have that softened, you know, exterior towards that, deci- that decision. Wow. That, that's cool. Yeah. That is really cool. I mean, it's always interesting to hear the um, reactions of those that don't quite understand, you know, the methodology of why we choose to serve missions. And like you said, it, it sounded like 
you know, as your siblings went and as they saw it, and I'm sure that she thought it was fairly strange when your older sister went on her mission, but then to get to you and she's like, okay, well, I guess this isn't really a surprise anymore, but mm -hmm. to see that softening that had to have been really a neat experience. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then do you uh, remember time frame wise when you got your call and when you reported to the MTC? Yeah, I actually think I got it like the end of October. It was like October 30th. Like it was right around Halloween. And mm -hmm. then I went through the temple, the Provo temple, like mid-December. And then I didn't actually report to the Preston MTC until February 3rd. Okay. So there was quite a, a bit of time, you know, of waiting. And I just, like I said, I took a, some, uh, some time off, um, a deferment of my enrollment at BYU to Go on, the, go on my mission. It was really good timing because I actually came home like right in the summer, you know, okay. um, a year and a half later. So then I could go right into fall. So it was oh, kind yeah. of perfect timing. That's amazing. So February of what year? 2003. I know. 2003. <laughs> that's going to make it. Oh, is that when, is that when you were yeah. out there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so Wait. this is going to be 20 years next year, like in like a couple months. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. So I, I needed some clarification. So Jack, were you guys in the same group? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. We were in the so, MTC together. Is that okay. crazy? That is pretty yeah. crazy. I have to so, tell you, I don't have a lot of recollection of like very many people. <laughs> is that horrible? Like I remember sisters, but I, I just don't have, I wasn't really super close with a lot of the elders. Um, I remember a couple here and there, but I was, I was kind of, a, I was on the Orkney Islands for six months and then I was over on, really? over an air for six months. And so I was kind of secluded, you know, yeah. from <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> President Rains knew something that we didn't, I guess. <laughs> so, troublemaker. <laughs> mm -hmm. All there, right. wasn't a, there was an unusual amount of sisters in our group too. There was five going to Scotland and then yeah. I think we had over 60 in the MTC um, at missionaries at the time. So right. that's, and I think we only had like 18 sisters in the whole mission, right? Yeah. It wasn't a lot like 18 no. or 22. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So you went home what month of 2005 then? No, no, no. I was gone 2003 to 2004, right? Isn't that right? Or 2005? No. Oh, no, you're right. 2005. <laughs> That's the math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, 2005. I went home July. July. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So July of 2005, you come yeah. home. Tell us about what's life, what life has been like since you returned home from your mission. Um, it was hard initially. Um, I was just telling my kids this. We were having dinner the other night. We were talking about our missions, my husband and I. I like, and I want to be, I want to preface this. I loved my mission and I loved the people and it was just so wonderful. But there's a like a constant intensity of like putting, you know, X amount of hours in to work every week and you just feel exhausted. And I remember coming home from my mission really feeling like I had laid it all out and um, having nightmares of being back out on my mission. <laughs> that is, that is the truth. 
I think, I think we've all been there. Yeah. And I just was like mortified, like, Oh, I have to do it again. You know? Um, uh, because I just felt like I just laid it all out there, but, um, yeah, so I came home from a mission and, um, actually had a hard time kind of adjusting and I felt really impressed actually to, uh, apply to the MTC, uh, to be a Mm. teacher. And so I went in and had my first round of interviews and you kind of go into this like classroom and you're teaching these other, these other kind of teachers that work there. And it's kind of this kind of chaotic, you know, process a little bit. And that's the first round. And then the second round, they bring you back and you're there with even some higher ups. And they, I remember them sitting there and being like, um, give a first, a first lesson, you know, uh, in 30 seconds, you know, and I felt like really confident that I could do that because that was like every, you know, opportunity of talking to people on on the streets all the time, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah. And, um, anyway, they, they did, they hired me. And so I worked there actually for a year. Uh, it was like a little bit over, was it a year and a half? Yeah. And I, I taught, missionaries it was like english missionaries it was every 19 days was a new group you know and it was a lot of missionaries that's Um, intense yeah and um and then after that i kind of was needing a change and i ended up um working at uh for a professor at byu and during this time is when i met my husband i was kind of wrapping it up i was trying to decide if i was going to go to graduate school and so i was taking some classes for the GRE and then um, getting some things in order to apply out to some schools on the East coast. And I was playing um, intramural football uh, on a girl's team, a women's team. And um, you know, this was a smart move, but a friend, a friend of mine asked my husband to come and coach us you know, that was smart on his part. Right. And, um, brilliant. (laughs) So he came out and I remember him, he came out like the first, the first time. And, um, I was kind of dating somebody else at that period. And so I really wasn't, you know, really looking and, um, and then it kind of, you know, he got busy with school and I got busy with different things. And, um, then he came out a few months later and then it had fizzled at this point. So it was like, he was there and I was like, oh, who's the hot coach, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it just really kind of, you know, um, took off and he asked me to a football game. And anyway, there's a whole story there, but it was just, um, I just knew right away at that period, I had been praying and praying for the gift of discernment that I would recognize him when he came into my life. And, um, it was just undoubtedly like, I just knew that that was, that he was the one. And so anyway, yeah, we, I mean, at that point I was 24, you know, which, you know, seems old in our culture, you know, <laughs> you know, now I'm kind of like with my girls, I'm like, don't get married, you know, until you're like 26, you know, like that's what I would be telling them, but, um, take your time. Yeah, right. Exactly. But, um, yeah, it felt old at that point. And so, um, but we, yeah, we got, we started dating in like November and we were engaged by February and married by May. Yeah. So it was 
Maybe there that was quick. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's actually uh, pretty pretty lengthy in yeah. you know in the church culture as we can say. <laughs> right. But yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, good. And then uh, have you guys moved around? Kind of stayed mostly yeah. Utah, Washington area. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah. So I had graduated a week before we got married, and he still had a little bit of time. And so we came up here and we took some, a period of, you know, semester off of school. And then he, um, then we were working up here in Washington state. And then we went back to BYU and I was working at BYU at that period. And he was finishing up his degree and um, he had about a year and a half left and I was working there and I got pregnant with our first and he, he graduated. And then we came back up to Washington and spent a year up here saving for him to for him to go to grad school, and then we went down to Arizona where he went to graduate school. Um, Brett is a, a physical therapist, so he got his doctorate in physical therapy, and we were down there for two years. Um, and I got pregnant again, um, and so we have um, our first is Nixon, and then we have a, a our son, and then a daughter Stella, and we had her in Arizona. And then we moved back up to Washington and he finished up his rotations up here. And he was working at that time period um, at a local hospital. And um, his dad owns a construction company and kind of gave us the opportunity to work some construction just because it was prevailing wage. And so, the you know, the wage was a lot higher than normal wages you know so here I was with a degree and I'm working construction and 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 that is a little that's a little like humbling in and of itself you know um mm -hmm. but um so <clears throat> I was um flagging actually so I don't know if you know it's like holding on the side of the road like the stop and slow you know yeah. so I did that actually um at night while we were saving and saving and saving so that we could um start our own business so at, at this point, during this time, Brett had kind of come to me and he was like, listen, my patients are waiting six weeks to get in to see me. You know, there, there's a need for more um, practices here. And I think that we can do this. And I was like, you're on drugs. Like that is way harder, <laughs> way harder than, than you think it is. Like, and he was like, yeah, but we're smart and we can figure it out. And so we did. We just started to just they just threw ourselves in the deep end and just started to figure things out. And I, we, so it was just him and I, we opened up our own practice and I was, you know, manning the phones and doing all the things. And, um, he was seeing patients and we put our kids in daycare. I mean, it was just so much sacrifice at the very beginning of it all. And, um, we just kept going and going and then slowly adding to the practice. And so we now have 15 employees, um, eight providers wow. and um, a second location. And during, in the midst of all that, another baby came. So it was, it was all the things, <laughs> all, oh, all the you. things. Yeah. I have to applaud you. That's, that's amazing. Good, yeah, good for you lot. guys. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I take care of like all of the office managerial things and do the payroll and the contracting and all the bookkeeping and everything else. And I still work actually, but now I work from home. 
I started to work from home when I had my last and I just finally went to Brett and I was like, listen, I don't need to be in the office full time for what I'm doing. You know, like we've got so many capable people. So just work from home now. So that was way before it was cool. Now I, I've been working from home for a while. So uh-huh. it's nice. Yeah. You're a trendsetter. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you have the three kids total then. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our last one, her name is Isla. And um, oh, beautiful. I met a little girl on um, in Aberdeen. I knocked on the door. Maybe it was Aberdeen or it was Orkney. Yeah, it was Orkney actually. We were knocking doors and this little girl with this dark hair came and answered the phone, answered the door and opened it up. And I was like, hi, is your, is your mom there? And so she went to, she was going to go get her. I said, well, what's your name? And she said, Isla. And I just knew, and here we have this last little one. She's got these, this dark hair and her name's Isla Shannon. And she is just a little spitfire. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah. Nice. She's got, she got the fire of the Orkney Isles in her. <laughs> right. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. What ages are your kids now? 13, 10, and 5. Yeah. So you can tell, like, when, where was the practice started? <laughs> you can, you can <laughs> see it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you had your baby, which was your practice <laughs> right. between the 10 year old and the five year old. Yeah, and the yeah, five year old was like, hang on, I still need a part of this. <laughs> right. Good yeah. for you guys. That's amazing. Well, good. Um, all right. Well, let's go back to the mission. And if you yeah. want, you can start at the MTC and your experience there, but just take us through the areas you served in, the companions yeah. you served with, and any of your favorite moments. Yeah. So I was at the Preston England MTC. That was incredible. Just a really neat experience being there. I was in a threesome. I was with Sister Barker and Sister Bogomolova. Um, nice. And that was just really. That was a gift because that friendship was just lasted through the whole mission. In fact, actually I served with them two other times. So I served with them a threesome at the very beginning of my mission. Then I served with Bogomolova, just her halfway through our missions. And then I finished my mission with uh, sister Bogomolova and sister Barker. And it was just, it was really neat to be able to have those bookends and that friendship throughout that whole period. Um, Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so so Sister Bogomolova came from Ukraine, Simferpol. Um, I don't know if you've interviewed her, but she would be a fun one to interview. Um, she's on she's the a, list. Oh, is. good. Oh, she's, good. She's a future guest, and uh, we'll see how we can make it work to interview her and her husband, Kevin Vertigem, at the same time. So that's a future one we're excited about. Yeah. Yeah. So she actually hadn't, she didn't speak any English, none. And I just, I can't even imagine what that was like for her, you know, how intense that was. Um, And she hadn't gone through the temple either. So we, yeah. So we actually, Sister Barker and I, I think I was her escort. I'm pretty sure I was her escort. And we took her through the temple at the Preston England temple there. And um, that was a really cool experience. And I actually think she hadn't received her patriarchal blessing either. And she received that at the MTC too. So just super cool things um, to be a part of and to see just a totally different culture. Um, And somebody who was so committed, you know, to the truthfulness of the gospel. I think that was really impactful to me 
and her hard work. I mean, I looked back on my, I look back on my mission and I just loved my companions. You know, you know, I had my niece actually, she was just recently, not recently, but a few years ago came home from a mission and it was like, you know, companion issue after companion issue. And that just wasn't, that wasn't what it was for me. Like I, I loved all of my companions, you know, just had so much fun with them. And so that was the MTC and um, just really incredible, you know, cool experiences, great teachers there. I still use some of the teaching tools that they, you know, um, shared just cool stuff. Um, and then yeah. we were on our way to up to, the mission home in, in Edinburgh and, um, you know, s- s- uh, meeting President Brains and Sister Brains for the first time. That was fun. I remember Sister Brains. She was such a, she's such a character. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. And, um, what did she, she, she was like, Ooh, you're kind of gregarious. <laughs> she just was funny. She just is funny. I just really enjoy her. But I remember sitting, you know, because they owned Modern Display in Utah, which was like a huge interior design, you know, firm and had all mm-hmm. these cool things. And anyway, I remember sitting at the table with them for the first time and um, looking up at kind of some of the decor there at the mission home. It's just super dated. Like, I don't know if you guys remember it, but it was very dated. <laughs> and I remember being like, um, so are you loving this? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> and she, she just started to laugh. And she was like, oh, Sister Samus, we're going to get along just fine. You know? <laughs> and she was like, I've got big plans, big plans for this place. I was like, oh, I'm glad because it really needs a refresh. You know, it just, it, it was obvious that nobody, and you know, it's like, you know, nobody had really tended to it. Um, oh, and she did, she did, she did some amazing stuff there. You know, really, she had a lot of repainting done and, you know, so, but yeah, so that was kind of like my first interactions with them and they're, they're just, they were just good people. I was reading through some of my journal and just some of my interactions with president brains and it just was just good, you know, just to, mm-hmm. I just feel really lucky that he was my mission president, you know? So, um, and so then I was off to my first area, um, up in Aberdeen, which is actually where my family is from is Aberdeenshire. Really? That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, so that was really neat. Um, and I served with um oh my gosh, my mind just went totally blank. How embarrassing. <laughs> we, I could totally we, we I could totally part. Yeah. <laughs> to- yeah, please edit it. <laughs> Definitely not. Sorry. Um oh my gosh, sister. Um it's gonna come back to me. It's probably here of my mission. Yeah, who was your trainer? Come on. <laughs> yeah, who who was it? Clearly an, an impactful uh, trainer. <laughs> no, she was so great. And I, Sister Laird. Sister Laird. <laughs> Sister Laird. Nice. <laughs> oh my gosh, how embarrassing, Sister Laird. Sorry. Um, I love Sister Laird. She was so wonderful. She was so patient with me because I think I wanted to hit the ground running, you know, at like full sprint speed. And, um, she was just really patient with that energy, um, and kind of, you know, letting me, um, 
I wouldn't say necessarily take the reins, but letting me have a lot of say in different things. And she was just really, she was exactly what I needed at that time. Um, and then also very realistic too, like that's probably not going to work in today's, you know, schedule, you know? Um, and so she just was really wonderful. We got along really well. Um, and we we're up there in, um, the bridge of Dawn ward. Okay. And, um, just, um, you know, they had had some really, you know, hard things happen in that ward and stake actually. Um, and so you could kind of tell that they were, you know, just um, maybe still reeling from some of those things that had transpired, um, but just such good people, you know. Um, and um, I was only there for three months, but um, I don't really, I mean, the Williamson family was up there. Oh, well, they're awesome think, people. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hazel and Kasha. Can't remember their last name. The Dempsey's, the Dempsey family. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. were you there too in in Bridge of Dawn? So Jack trained me in Peterhead. Okay. For my first three months, and then I was the zone leader in the Aberdeen zone leader area for my okay. last six months of my mission. So, you know, I nine. What is that? Nine months of my mission. Yeah. In in the Aberdeen state. Oh yeah. I mean, I just love that stake. It's unbelievable. So many wonderful people. Yeah, you get to know everybody when you're there for that oh, yeah. long. You know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and so it didn't feel like I really had super strong connections probably with some of the people in the ward. I mean, I still keep in touch with Hazel, but she's really the only one from that area. Um, and we just keep in touch um, via Instagram and, you know, message oh, back fun. and forth every once in a while and things. But. Yeah, so that was really neat. And I remember being with Sister Laird. <clears throat> and this is kind of interesting, but um, I don't know how this came up, but there was some sort of conversation about the Orkney Islands. And I was like, well, I kind of was, you know, maybe a little bit prideful or cocky. And it was just like, oh, I'm going to go there. And she was like, no, you're not actually. She's <laughs> like, she's like, no, because they don't send sister missionaries there. There's not enough priesthood. They need the elders there. And I was like, well, maybe you're wrong. <laughs> you know? And um, I hope she watches this because then she'll text me or something and reach out and be like, you know. <laughs> and um, anyway, it was just really, and then lo and behold, you know, call moose call came and president brains gets on the call and he's like, Hey, sister Samus, so we're going to send you and sister breach up to the Orkney islands. And, um, <laughs> it was just, it was kind of like, like I knew that that was going to happen, but also like, I was surprised at the same time, Do you know, you know, when you kind of verbalize something because you feel it in your heart and in your mind and everything. And then it actually happens. You're like, Whoa, Whoa, Heavenly Father, just pull that back a little bit. That was a little too much, you know? Um, and so that's kind of what it felt like. And I think Sister, sister, poor Sister Laird was just like, you know, she was surprised, you know? And, um, but I'll tell you, this comes full circle, Sister Laird. Don't worry, it comes full circle because this exact same thing happened with me when I trained Sister Cooper. So anyway, it is what it is. But um, yeah, so I went up there with Sister 
breach up to the Orkney Islands. And that, I still like have such a fond, in fact, it still like kind of makes me emotional just thinking of what transpired up there and um, the people up there. We got up there, Sister Breach and I, and we, I mean, this we were the first sister missionaries to serve there in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. they had, had, hadn't had, I mean, I remember going to people's door and they were like, what? Sisters do the same thing, you know? And they were surprised and shocked. And um, it was really hard initially. Um, it felt like there was a lot of um, just adversity and um, like we were trudging through muddy water is how it initially felt. The work was really slow um, initially, and it was it was just really it felt difficult, for lack of a better word. And we got up there and kind of started to kind of familiarize familiarize ourselves with the area book and what what we should do first and started to call upon some people that they had already, the, the elders had already previously taught. And um, there was a couple of names in there that we felt like, Oh, okay. You know, we'll reach out to them. So there was only six members in this branch, you know, and um, yeah, kind of. And so you can tell like there was a reason why they didn't send sisters. I mean, they desperately needed the priesthood. Um, to bless the sacrament every Sunday. And so the fact that we were up there was just a huge sacrifice, you know, because it suddenly put this pressure on this little branch to be like, okay, you know, we've got to sort out who's going to do these priesthood responsibilities. And so I remember kind of going through the area book and there was a couple of names that we were like, oh, okay, well, we'll go, we'll go meet them. And, um, the first name was, um, well, President Scully was the branch president there. And his sister was a member and was baptized with her five kids. But they were no longer coming to church. And so Sister Breach and I were like, well, we're going to go get them back to church because our little six-member branch needs some help, you know? Yeah. And she was living with her boyfriend, I think, at the time. And they had since then gotten married, I think. But so anyway, we ended up going to their house and calling upon them. And I remember her opening the door and being like, oh, oh, you're girls. (laughs) You know, just really kind of surprised, you know. And they were very kind and invited us in. And we just started to chat and just kind of get to know them. And I remember having this, like, really powerful moment of boldness just kind of come to me and I remember turning to um, her and I said sister Scully why are you no longer coming to church and she looked at me and she just said she said you know what sister Samus we missed one Sunday and one Sunday turned into five years and I have to tell you that experience 20 years later nearly has stayed with me for years about how easy that slippery slope is, you know, of just getting out of those spiritual habits that really help define us and help solidify that testimony that we have. Um, and that was really impactful for me. And they never came back to church. They, I mean, they really just were not interested at that point. 
And I, and I just remember how sad that felt to me um, that really just one Sunday, you know, was all it took of them missing it. And then they found something else to replace their time with. And so that was, that was really one of those experiences that has just stayed with me um, and really been super impactful for my life moving forward, you know, um, cause I could find a lot of things to do on a Sunday, you know, <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's kind of helped me kind of stay grounded in my, you know, resolution to stay active, you know, that experience. So it was kind of, that was neat. Um, and then, um, we had some other friends up there, um, Mally and Anne. We had a lot of good experiences with them. He was like a born-again Christian. And I was reading through my journal today, and um, he knew that the church was true. But he was really waiting for his wife to kind of come around to it. And um, they never joined the church. And, in fact, I'm still friends with their daughter on Instagram and things. Um, but it was kind of... Um, kind of just a sad situation because he, he knew really, really strongly that the church was true. And then I remember, you know, I was reading through one of these things that uh, one of these entries that um, he came out to us one day after we had visited him, I felt really impressed to go by and visit him. And he came out to us and he said, and said that, and turned to me today and, and said, you know, I think Joseph Smith is a prophet. And she says, but that doesn't mean we have to join this church, does it? And he was kind of like, no, no, we can, we can wait, you know, kind of thing. And um, they met, they never did join the church. So that was kind of, you know, just one of those, but we kept in, you know, good contact with them. Um, and then the, the other individual that was kind of just super, just incredible story was uh, Patrick Carroll. And Patrick had lived up in Orkney. He was from Bristol, England, and he had lived up in Orkney for years. And, um, we went in to meet him for the first time. And I think he was also surprised that sister missionaries were then were there, you know? Um, and he was just a lovely man. And uh, we started to kind of get to know him. Patrick's story was really interesting. He um, was an excommunicated member of the church. He had held uh, leadership positions. And then after being released from those leadership positions had kind of fallen away um, into some, um, just bad choices and which had led to him being excommunicated. And um, there was some bitterness around how all that had transpired and how things had kind of led him away from the church. And you could tell it was really difficult. Um, and we, but him and I just connected instantly and um there were some other situations that kind of led to some bitterness that involved his daughter. And anyway, we just started to move past that. And I remember we were, we just initially just, you know, friendly. And then once one, one day we went up to his flat and I said to him, I said, Patrick, oh, we just don't have anyone to teach right now because there's just not a lot of people here on Orkney. So, I mean, our teaching skills are kind of, you know, going down the drain. So we just really need to practice on somebody, you know, like, would it be okay if we just started to practice on you? <laughs> I mean, he saw right through that, but he was like, um, just really agreeable, super sweet. And he was like, okay, fine, sister Samus, you can teach me again, you know? And so we started to teach him again. 
And um, I know he had some conflicts. He uh, was kind of like a, I don't know, some sort of aid at like um, an assisted living thing. And he also took phone calls and things. And it was right during church time. So he had a difficulty with coming to church. And I remember going to President Scully and being like, hey, is there any way we could make it change to when we do sacrament versus, you know, flipping the flipping the schedule, right? For sacrament meeting and Sunday school and things. And initially, President Scully, I think, was a little reluctant to do it. But, you know, we were kind of creative in making it seem like it was his idea. And we're like, oh, brilliant. It's a great idea. But that makes it awesome so that Patrick can come to church. And um, so he did. He made He made the switch to the schedule. And all of a sudden, Patrick could come. And Patrick started coming every Sunday and um, it was just really sweet to see, you know, this little branch just really embrace Patrick. And um, it was just really, really special. Um, and we didn't actually think that he would ever be able to be rebaptized. Actually, it was kind of an involved situation and we'd never thought he'd be able to. And um, I remember writing a letter to President Brains, kind of like sharing the story and the experience and everything. And President Brains called and was like, hey, I'm going to send up um, President Van Hagen up to Orkney and he's going to interview Patrick. And we were like, okay, well, probably still has to go through church headquarters. So, um, okay, we'll see where that, where that goes. And um, <clears throat> he sent up President Van Hagen. And President Van Hagen met with um, Patrick. Now, this is during this period. I'd already been in Orkney for like six months. I'd had Sister Breach and then Sister McConkie came up. And so this is like towards the very end of me serving up there. And President Van Hagen met with Patrick and he, you know, just initially it was just supposed to be like a meeting to kind of see what the whole story was and what needed to happen. And um, President Van Hagen came out of that. And he met with us and it was like, that was really good. You know, I think I can make some phone calls. And we were like, uh, oh, okay. Like we didn't know what that meant. <laughs> and lo and behold, they approved it. And it was kind of shocking. Um, and he was literally baptized uh, like two days later um, after oh, all of yeah. this. And it was just if they'd gotten special approval and everything. And um, here was this man who had waited such a long time and had so much hurt and bitterness of all the situations and things. And, um, and he was baptized and it was just really remarkable, really incredibly remarkable. Um, and at his baptism, he got up and bore his testimony at the very end. And he was really just emotional and he said to, at this time I was serving now with Sister McConkie. So it was, you know, Sister Breach and Sister McConkie. And he just said, you know, the greatest moment in my life is when I see you in the celestial kingdom and thank you for all you have done for me. Wow. And it was just really, really incredibly special um, to share that with him and to see how far he had come. And, um, Anyway, just, you know, just really neat. Something, it, it, in fact, he was the only baptism I saw in my mission. The only person that I saw actually get baptized. Um, people got baptized after I left areas, but he was the only one that I saw. 
And so it was just, it made it really even more impactful. Um, after I came home from my mission, he actually ended up getting a blood cancer. He ended up getting all of his priesthood blessings restored and actually getting to the temple, but then he got a blood cancer and he actually passed away a couple of years after that. And, um, wow. you know, I think just really, really cool. So, so that was kind of like one of those big, you know, special experiences, you know, and, um, it was just really neat. So yeah, that was during all that time up there. It was just, I, Orkney has like a really special place. In fact, my husband and I were planning on going next year to Scotland and I can't go to Scotland without going to Orkney. Right. You know, oh, um, yeah, it's super neat stuff. So, so that was all in Orkney. And I have one I'm, question before you move yeah, on from Orkney. Yeah. Did you, as the sister missionaries in Orkney do service at the pig farm? No, but I think okay. that the elders did, didn't they? <laughs> yes. I have to tell you, we went to the pig farm. We went to the pig farm because we knew the elders were doing service there. And I got there. It was a sister breach initially because we were there. And I, it smelled <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I remember saying to sister breach, sister breach, I cannot do this. Like I cannot. No. And she was like, no, me neither. You know? And, um, we were like, Oh, you know, Oh, sorry. I just don't think this is going to work out for us. You know? Yeah. So no. So, so were you on Orkney then? I was. (laughs) So uh, just based upon timeline, I'm sure that your six months was like late spring to early to late fall. Right. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It was like April to April to October, I think is what it was or longer than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was in Orkney around this time of year for four weeks before I got transferred out. Um, Oh, you were, Oh, uh (laughs) they closed the area after I'd been there for four weeks. Yeah. And, uh, so I had a little different experience. It was freezing gale force winds, mm-hmm. you know, all this different crazy stuff, but we did do service on the pig farm. And that was one of the most memorable experiences from my mission that I can recall with some fondness, but at the same time, it was definitely the second you said the smell, I can smell it. <laughs> you know, those smell memories. That, that smell never leaves you, Jack. <laughs> never. No. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It just never, never leaves you, you know? So uh, yeah, it was, it was just, yeah, no, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I was like, that's not going to work for us. (laughs) I mean, the biggest thing for us was we went for the fresh eggs and I think we got bacon and some other food things. So it was like, we can't buy that at the store on our limited budget. So we'll go do some service for that. Yeah. And they closed, they closed Orkney for a long time after we left. It oh, really? was like, I think so. I mean, you guys were probably there. I mean, I think it was still closed when I came home from my mission. So it was a long time. I mean, because Sister Cooper, she actually went and served up in Shetland. Right. And they, the Shetland was only open. They didn't have Orkney open at that time. So it was, huh. yeah, I think it was closed for a while. Yeah. So they just well, didn't have anyone. Again, so my time frame there was like again this this time of year. It was like mid to latter part of November to mm-hmm. mid to latter part of December mm-hmm. of two thousand five. And I know that there were elders there before me, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I mean, maybe they had just reopened it as you had left. That's um, probably what happened. And yeah. they had a couple of positive experiences, but 
they closed it after I was there. So, you mm. know, it's just one of those really interesting places, like you said, where you knock on the door and they're like, oh, it's you again type of a thing, because there's just not enough doors in the whole of Kirkwall to be able to, you know, do that on a consistent basis. And then beyond that, you know, we've heard some missionaries who served in the islands that have talked about, well, we used to drive like from farm to farm knocking on doors. And I'm yeah. like, that just didn't seem like the most productive thing to do mm-hmm. with our time. Uh, yeah. I don't remember yes. us doing that so much. Like, you know, what? one of the things that we did actually, <clears throat> well, funny story about the Gale Force winds that actually happened to us. Sister McConkie and I were traveling down. We were on our way to see someone that we we're teaching. I can't remember. I think his name was Reese. Gale Force winds. And I'm driving and Sister McConkie's next to me and the bonnet of our car pops up into the windshield. Oh no. And I mean, it's like 70 mile an hour winds, you know? And I'm like, she's screaming, you know, she's like, what? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I'm like trying to stay calm. There's like only this little part that they can see through kind of thing. And I'm like slowly pulling it over. <laughs> Don't getting out of the car. And... <laughs> We're getting out of the car. We're trying to like push this bonnet down, you know, but the wind is just keeping it. And I'm trying to push it down. She's trying to push it down. And we just start laughing. And then I'm still pushing down and she's getting back in her car. I'm like, what are you doing? She's grabbing her her camera. She's taking a picture of us. (laughs) And like, that was just like, that was classic sister McConkie. Like, this is a crazy story. Nobody's going to believe us. We're going to take a picture. So and then, like, this good Samaritan with his dad, you know, pulled over and helped us. But we ended up having to, like, wire it shut and then dra- drive back to Kirkwall. So. Oh, yes. my gosh. Yeah, super, super just, you know, so many funny things. I know that, you know, we were lonely up there, Sister Breach and I. We had, like, we ended up having Sister Orange. She was a member of our companionship. I mean, you you remember um Wilson from Castaway. So we had like a little orange that was on our dash. And we, you know, I mean, it's just like all the crazy things, you know, because we you were so lonely. I mean, I don't even think we talked to the elders every night, you know, like we yeah. I, I like it. It was only like maybe once a week, you know. And so it was just her and I, you know, hanging out every day. Um, but yeah, no, it was yeah. it was probably my most fond, fondest memories from Orkney and it was funny I was reading through my journal and some of these things I have like absolutely no recollection of so I was reading this and I actually called my husband today and I said I have no recollection of this like none whatsoever and he's like what well what was it and I said I took a plane from Orkney to Edinburgh when I was done there when they got moves trial you know moves and he was like, uh, it's kind of a big deal, like to take a plane on your mission. I was like, I know it is, you know, like you would think you would have some sort of recollection about it. None. Yeah. <laughs> None. Oh man. So, Good thing you kept a journal. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I so, had, I had the opportunity similar to you where I moved. God, where? Oh, I was in Johnston down, um, you know, <laughs> West of Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And I got moved up to Orkney. And so I took a train up to Aberdeen and then they put me on a flight mm-hmm. with my companion back to Orkney. I was like, I get used to this. Oh yeah. And then we took the like 15 hour ferry ride with all of our things overnight. <laughs> and we didn't have 
a a bunk room. Like we had to sit in the upright chairs, and I was like, "This is honestly the worst way to travel in in the world." Like I don't I don't do well on airplanes because mm-hmm. I don't fit in the chair very well. Right. My goodness, that it was just. Imagine being on an airplane and doing this the whole. Oh way. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so it was miserable, bad. miserable. So yeah. bad. Yeah. Oh, no, so, so because I was up there during you know um, you know six months, every time we had a zone conference, we would come back down on the ferries, you know, and um, I mean through the North Sea. I mean it was brutal. I mean yeah. so just. I mean if you you don't know seasickness until you've traveled on the North Sea, you know. <laughs> And um, it was brutal. And so when they told us that we were flying back, you know, it's in my journal here. I was elated. I was like, great. <laughs> like, I'm done with that ferry, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, just, it was just so many fond memories up there, you know. So after I was there in Orkney, I came down and I was with um, Sister Bogomolova again in um, air. And um that was really neat. Just, I had a really hard time though. I, I feel bad adjusting to, um, you know, being away from Orkney and being away from sister breach and sister, uh, McConkie. I just adored them. And we had such a good friendship. And, um, um, I, the first couple of days was just really a hard adjustment. And we were also walking everywhere. Air was a huge area, huge walking area everywhere and also taking the buses you couldn't even get out to like some of the areas that you know the previous because we were whitewashing the, some of the previous elders were you know um teaching people and so um but you know then you know sister Bogomola, i got over my you know initial kind of adjustment period and we just hit it off again you know i just so enjoyed her she just was so easy and so lovable you know i think you know, Sister Bogomolova had this amazing gift where, you know, she would, this was not my gift, but we would be in like a teach and she just would start talking and like the spirit would just ooze from her, you know, just like, just, just, it just was flowing. And you, you could watch the, you know, the people that we were teaching and you could see that they were feeling the spirit, you know, you, could, you know, when you see someone and you're like, oh yeah, they're feeling the spirit. It was like every time she opened her mouth. I remember feeling like that's not my gift, you know, like I can, I can teach really clearly and succinctly, but spirit oozing from me is not my gift, but that was hers. And she just, she was amazing. She was just so fun. And we just had such a laugh, you know? And and, um, so we were there together and we had the Bishop Dewey. Did any, did either of you guys serve over in that area? I didn't know. So Bishop Dewey, and someone's going to have to correct me. I bet somebody's going to make a comment on this or something. But Bishop Dewey was was the bishop, and he was young. He was maybe like twenty eight at the time. Wow. He went on to be. The, he was the bishop, and then he was, I think, a high counselor for a little period, and then was the state president, oh. and then was re- for like a long period, maybe eight years or something, and then was released from that, and they moved. And now he's the state president again. <laughs> like this man is just remarkable and his family. So I keep in touch with them, Andrew and Debbie Dewey. And they were just amazing. We taught a man over there, John. He ended up getting baptized after we left the area. Um, but my second companion was Sister McLean. Did you guys know Sister McLean? 
The name sounds familiar. Yeah, it rings a bell. She was remarkable. She had had open heart surgery when she was three days old. So I remember um, President Rains called me and went for Moog's call. And he said, hey, Sister Samus, we're going to send you a new companion. This is after Sister Bogomolova and I had been together for three months. And Bogo was going somewhere else. And then, so they were sending Sister McLean. And um, he was like, you know, Sister Samus, you know, um, you like to work really hard. Uh, but you're not going to be able to do that with um, Sister McLean. You're going to have to slow your pace down quite a bit. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, And he was, he was like, she needs to come in and take a nap every day. And um, wow. I was like, okay, well, I could probably use a nap too, you know, kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but I, at that period, I didn't really realize what he meant. And it wasn't until we served together. I mean, her pace was just significantly slower. Um, she'd had open heart surgery when she was three days old and um, actually had to have special permission to actually serve a mission um, because of her physical limitations. Um, but those physical limitations just never stopped her. She just went and went and went and just was just such a spiritual giant. I just adored her so much. Um, and we just we had a good time together. She had to come in every day for a nap and um, for about an hour. Um, then I would just usually study during that time. And, um, and we just we just really got along. I mean, serving with her really helped solidify my testimony of, of the resurrection. And I think I needed that at that time for something that really you can take for granted quite a bit until something happens in your life or someone, you know, close to you. And, um, you know, you might have have this kind of body that's very able and can do all the things. And then you're with somebody that doesn't have that and has never had that. And all of a sudden it kind of just brings everything, you know, down to earth. Um, and that was really, really humbling for me to serve with her. Um, she just was such a remarkable missionary. She just never let it impede her ability to serve and her desire to serve. So that was really cool. Um, made some good experiences there. Um, and then I was off to Edinburgh to train Sister Cooper. Mm. And I was kind of, you know, um, um, at that point, I didn't ever think I was going to train. Because now I was like three months away from like, I mean, was it three months? Yeah, it was like three months away from like being done, you know, on my mission. Everyone else and my same age had all trained. And um, so then when President Brains called me and I was, I was kind of a little bit like, I remember saying to him, like, are you sure? <laughs> Is that really what you want? Kind of thing. <laughs> and um he was like, yeah, yeah, Sister Samus, yeah, you and Sister Cooper are going to be great. Well, Sister Cooper was from Utah, from kind of a, uh, you know, farm, farm towns in Utah. Um, and um, I think it was Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. And um, she was wonderful. Just really, uh, I don't know if you, either of you ever served with her, but she was amazing. Just really kind of um, very happy and like cheery. Um, and that was just exactly what I needed during that time, because, you know, when you're starting to kind of wind down, you're feeling a little bit of like the drag and, um, she just was just, you know, energized. And the funny thing is, is she knew I served in Orkney and she's like, well, 
I'm probably going to serve from the Shetlands. And I was like, mm, probably not, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so this comes full circle. Yeah, yeah. your own medicine there. Yeah, it tastes my own medicine for sure. And um, yeah, lo and behold, we were together for six weeks. And then she was off to Shetland. And I don't remember who she served with, but she was up there for a long time, too. I think she was up there for six months. Um, and so that was kind of cool to kind of see that kind of come full circle, you know. Um, but yeah, and then, you know. Um, She's episode number five, by the way. She was she? The, she was the first sister missionary that was w- willing to come on and uh, be Good part of our her. conversation. She's, yeah. she, uh, <clears throat> I served around her for quite a bit of the mission and saw her often. And so go and listen to her episode. I, I think will. you'll enjoy that one. Yeah, I will for sure. Yeah, she was just really, really wonderful. Um, I haven't kept in really good touch with her, actually. So that would be fun to kind of see where she's at now. I think yeah. we're just friends on Facebook, you know, so that would be fun to kind of see where she's up to. Yeah. So, so that was six weeks. It was kind of a flash, you know, it was really super quick. And then, then sister Bokomolova and sister Barker came out to Edinburgh and we all finished our missions together and it was really tender and sweet to all be together, you know, um, and just kind of be like, this is what we started together and this is what we finished together. Um, and I don't remember us having like really, you know, I mean, um, I don't know if you, did any, either of you serve in Edinburgh in the ward there? No. So the bishop there, his name was uh, Bishop Laird, Paul Laird, and um, young guy. And anyway, he ended up, we ended up getting really close with him and his wife. And um, um, they ended up, you know, having some struggles after I came home from a mission. He ended up actually coming out and um, visiting me in Utah. Um, just a really, really neat guy. And we've since kind of lost touch, but so many cool, you know, people that were there in that, that ward, that ward was kind of just a really, really cool ward because it was just such a gamut of different types of people from all, you know, different places and things. And it just was, it was really neat. So, um, but yeah, that was, yeah. So that was, and then my mom and dad came to pick me up and it was kind of awesome you know, just kind of seeing them there. And I remember seeing my mom for the first time and thinking to myself, that American accent is really annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that funny? Because your ear just gets so used to the Scottish, you know? (laughs) And so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had some of my friends who'd been home from their missions for quite a while that came over to see me and just sat there and wanted to listen to me talk like two Mm -hmm. days after I got home. Cause I still had the accent. Oh yeah. I didn't yeah. realize it, but mm-hmm. I still was speaking in the same mm-hmm. kind of flow of how mm-hmm. you speak to, to those in Scotland. And they were like, just keep talking. You sound mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, kind of the intonations yes. and everything. Oh. I mean, definitely. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you don't mean to do it. You know, it's not like you're like, Oh, I want to, you know, have an accent, but like, you're just so entrenched in it oh, that yeah. it just becomes part of the way you know you start to communicate with everything and mm-hmm. everyone but yeah that was me too actually yeah yeah my claim to fame was about halfway through my mission i was on a doorstep and did a tor- door approach and the guy i was talking to said what part of scotland are you from oh <laughs> and I said, i'm actually from america he goes no way man no way your scottish accent's amazing i said thank you <laughs> and can you still do it Oh, it, it comes out so quickly when I speak to 
those that I, that I talk to, like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where you reconnect with someone who still yeah. has that accent. I speak with some of my friends periodically, but they're, they've all gone different parts of the world. But anytime I talk to anyone from Scotland, I had that experience recently on a vacation in Florida where I ran to people from Kirkati. Oh, wow. And I found and I found myself going right back into it. Uh-huh. I was like, "Oh my gosh, it just feels so good." Yeah. To yeah. to speak with them and also to understand the words coming out of their mouth because mm-hmm. I had another instance where my wife and I were talking to some people from Glasgow and she was like, you know, as we all do early on the mission, we hear yeah. someone speak and then we look at our companion and go, "I have no yeah. idea. I have no clue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what was just said to me." Right? Right. And yeah. so she was asking me to interpret what they were talking about and man, it I love it. It's so, so amazing. Well, see, it's funny that you say all that, Zach, because I remember being up in Aberdeen, you know, at my first area and sitting in this man, he was a less active member. His name was Frank. It's like my first, like kind of experience. I mean, I've maybe been out two or three days and I'm sitting in his home and he's talking to us. And I remember thinking to myself, I have no idea what he's saying. And I know he's speaking English. So this, like, you, like, you just feel so dumb. You're like, oh my gosh, you know? Um, And it kind of takes some time to kind of get used to all of the substituted words, like identiken and Kirk and all these things. And you're just, it takes, you know, I felt like actually in all of my areas, it took me about three weeks to just like fine tune my ear to be able to understand that because each of the areas, the accent was so different. And up mm-hmm. in Orkney, you know, you served up there, Zach. It's like very sing-songy, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, it's just... It's more Scandinavian, right? Yeah, yeah. Very, very pretty the way that they speak. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was just really kind of... That took a while to get used to. So I'm interested to see what it's like when my husband and I go. Because I'll be like, do I understand them or do I not? I mean, I, oh, and I, there's no, there's no way you'll go, you'll go right back into it. I guarantee it's like a, it's like an un, unavailable switch that goes yeah. on when you're speaking to someone. When, when you understand it, you start speaking the way that yeah. they speak. And it's just like, oh, it's so good. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of those like feel good moments in your life where you can just kind of go, all right. Yeah. This is, this I is exactly, this is exactly <laughs> why I came was to validate the fact that I actually did what I did. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So oh, it's, man. it's funny. I actually, I, you know, part of this story too, you know, I came home from my mission and I remember actually I was back at BYU and I had, was having a really hard time kind of letting go of the mission and all of my experiences there. I just really just so loved it. And I was teaching at the MTC and I was up in my department. So I was a geography major. And I remember seeing this flyer. And it was like, apply to be an intern at the Scottish Parliament. And I saw this. And I was like, the spirit hit me so hard. Like, you need to do this. So I ended up applying for this internship um, through the Kennedy you know, program and everything. And um it was a really super competitive internship. They were only taking like, um, I think only 12 of us went and there was only like six girls. Wow. And um, anyway, 
the conflict was is that at that time I was still teaching at the MTC. Well, the MTC, you can't take a leave of absence, you know, for different internships and things because, you know, it just would be so hard. They'd be constantly holding people's positions. Right. But I here I was, I felt really impressed to do this. And I knew that, um, you know, I just had to trust that everything was going to work out. But I desperately needed this job at the MTC because it's one of the highest paying positions at BYU. Hmm. And so anyway, I ended up going to my supervisor at the MTC and I just was like, hey, I have applied for this. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get it, you know, but um, I just kind of want to put it out there. Like I'd be gone probably around you know, June for the spring term. And she just kind of reiterated to me, she's like, Lauren, we don't save jobs for people. Like, it's just such a competitive position. We have so many people applying all the time. And I was like, I know, I just, I just want to let you know. Well, then I went through the interview process and everything, and I ended up getting the intern internship. And I ended up going to Melanie. Her name is Melanie Cottom. And um, I was like, hey, I got this, you know, and she's like, okay, well, we're going to have to, you know, have your last day as such and such. And I said, okay, you know, and I was just gutted and, um, you know, I just kind of went through my, through, you know, my last couple of weeks there and things. And the day before it was like the second day before my last day, she comes up to me up to up into my class and I'm teaching and everything. And I finished my teaching and she kind of pulls me aside and she says, Lauren, send me an email when you get to Scotland. And I was like, okay. So they processed my like, you know, final paperwork at the MTC of my employment and everything. So I got to Scotland and I just offer off an email. Hey, Melanie, I'm here in Scotland, you know, so awesome to be back in the, you know, at the, in, in the mission and everything. And she responds back and she's like, Lauren, I was able to hold your job for you. Oh my and gosh. it was really, really neat. I mean, they did not do that for anybody, nobody. Um, because it's such it's such a competitive position, you know, at that time teaching at MTC. And um, that was just really a testament to me of just, you know, the Lord's hand in your life, you know, like here he was, he had prompted me to do this thing. I didn't know how it was going to work out, but he knew it was going to work out. And I just had to trust in this and take that step into the dark before everything was eliminated. And um, that was really, really cool. So I was able to be there, be back in Scotland and be at the Scottish Parliament and you work with like, it's called an MSP, which is a member of Scottish Parliament, kind of like a senator here and work with someone there. And um, I was there for six, six weeks. And um, that really helped me finally let go because I hear it. I just, it had just become, I, I just become so entrenched with this experience, you know, it, um, that I just was having a really hard time just finally like being like, I can move on from my mission. And, um, and that's what I needed. And it was just really neat to be able. And so then I went all around Scotland and went back up to Orkney and saw all the people and did all the things that I felt like I needed to do and was able to finally move on, you know? So it was cool. That was, that was a really cool experience to go back as not a missionary. (laughs) I was going to say, so you're, you're, I'm guessing it was in Edinburgh, right? Yeah, I was in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
Tell yeah. us about the out of body experience of being in Scotland and not keeping the mission rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, we went to pubs and yeah, so I was with like all of the like, uh, it was, they were all BYU students and I didn't know any of them, but we've all, you know, maintained friendships since this experience, the six weeks experience. But this was during the time of the World Cup, actually. Oh. And so we were there. Um, and it was, they were all, we're all BYU. Um, oh, summer of 06 then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're all BYU. I was still there. Oh, you were. Wow. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're all BYU students and we would go to um, the pubs with, you know, the, there was other kind of like, they were kind of, you know, inter- not interns in like what we were doing, like a free intern, but you know, like actual, they actually worked there and worked okay. with the MSPs. And so we would, we became really good friends with a lot of them and we would go to the pubs and get our diet Coke and sit and cheer on all the different teams. And, you know, we would go to plays and it was really cool to be there and experience Scotland, not as a missionary. Um, it just gave me a new appreciation for those experiences, you know? So I met up with sister breach. She was living in Edinburgh at that time. And we would go and take salsa lessons together. And it was just really cool. So neat to be able to be back there and have that experience. I just so much gratitude that that was part of my, that's that, that that experience is part of my story, you know? So that's really unique. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is really cool. I mean, I'm jealous. I wish I would have found that flyer like that because I would have been all over that <laughs> yeah, in a heartbeat. Yeah. No, there's no, there's no way I was not getting that internship. I'd be like, yeah. I can, I can understand the people. There's no way that Joe Schmo over here can. Right, <clears throat> right. Oh, yeah, amazing. yeah. We had some crazy experiences too. I remember we were out campaigning in Glasgow. This is crazy. This is wild. In fact, I don't know if this is, but we're out campaigning in Glasgow. We finally get back into the cars. And we're driving out of Glasgow. <clears throat> now, I didn't really serve in Glasgow. I was down in air. You know, I maybe came up to Glasgow a couple times for like right. Christmas things, but I didn't. I mean, Glasgow, there's some rough areas, you know? <laughs> yeah. Super rough areas. So we're driving through this like really rough area. And not kidding, this guy comes out of this pub and he is like gushing blood everywhere. And literally a stabbing has like just taken place. This other guy's, oh, it was, it was craziness. And lo and behold, there's this girl that's from BYU with me and she's young. She's like, I don't know, 19. I think she's like really young. And she's like, stop the car, stop the car. We've got to get out and help this man. And like, you you kind of go into like mama bear mode. And I remember just like, nobody is going anywhere. This is not a moment to be the good Samaritan. Keep going. No. no. And we oh just watched gosh. this whole scenario happen. It was wild. It was oh. absolutely wild. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm so glad it did surf in Glasgow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Did this happen like uh, in an evening around a soccer match? No, uh, you know, probably, probably. <laughs> I, I mean, sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> it gets I wild. Because... Again, that happened June. It was right at the end of President Sister Vrain's time there. Yeah. And President Vrain's told us straight out, he's like, if there's a soccer match on and you see people gathering at the pub, go home. 
Like yeah. there's no reason for you to be out in the streets doing anything. Mm-hmm. Go be in your flat or go be with a member or go do anything else, but be out on the streets. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, uh, use that as our excuse to watch the soccer match more often than not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you think about it, they don't, they don't mess around with their football over there. You no, know, they it's don't. intense. Yep. You know? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. All right. I had a question that ran through my mind and this is just random curiosity. So you saw sister Bogomolova come in having no English. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about, how her English was midway through the mission and at the end of the mission. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no English whatsoever. Um, so, and she just was so diligent. I remember her being in the NTC and, you know, taking her, cause she spoke both Ukrainian and Russian and to, and in English, you know, um, book of mormon and comparing things i mean and she just put so much work in and it was just i could just tell it was exhausting mentally exhausting then halfway through we were serving together in um air and i remember she at that time i think she was feeling really frustrated that she hadn't come farther along in her english even though i felt like she had sure and i remember her calling um present brains and being like, I need more time in the morning to do language study. Um, and I don't, for some reason, I think she was only getting the, the scheduling was only like, I don't know, maybe it's 30 minutes, but it wasn't enough time for her. Oh yeah. And, um, and he made an exception. He was like, Oh, sister Bogomola, you know, of course, if you need some more time. So she, I think that's for a period of time, she was taking a little bit over an hour. Now she'll probably know that better than I will. But, um, and that really, I mean, it was like lightning all of a sudden, like during the time that we served together, it was still pretty broken when I first got to air. And then by the time, like you could tell she was really, um, confident in being able to express herself. Um, and she was still, you know, relying a lot on, you know, not memorization so much, but kind of routine, you know, um, but it was lightning just within that, you know, I think we were together three months, um, in air. And then at the very end of my mission, it was like, she was totally fluent. And, you know, looking back on it, I mean, it's hard to learn English, Anyway, right? It's like yep. the most bizarre language. There's so many different, you know, rules and everything. But then you tack on being Scottish English and you're like, how does anyone learn that? How does anyone learn to speak English? And yep. it was it was remarkable. It was really, really re- remarkable. Just the, um, the commitment that she had to speaking English and how well she did with it. And, you know, I, I don't know if you guys follow, gosh, now my mind's totally blank, but he was Ukrainian and he is in Ukraine still. Andre. Elder Zinkowski. Yeah. Zinkowski. Now he came out the same time as sister Bogomolova did. Um, And um, his English is amazing, you know, so it's just really incredible. You know, like I follow him on Instagram and just watching some of his lives and things. I'm like, you know, and it is, it's a gift for some of these, you know, foreign kids to be able to learn a language like this, you know, Um, and just to see what he's done with it too. It's just really cool. So how you said she 
oozed the spirit. You could tell that even in the MTC when there was no English, you knew that she had a testimony. Yeah. And and then I was her district leader later on in the mission. And yeah, it was still there. And like every word you knew, Sister Bogomolova knew. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's she is very special. So special. And uh, we called her Bogo because that was just, you know, so we're like, come on, Bogo, let's go, you know, and um, she's just such a good sport about everything, you know, I mean, because Barker and I, we gave her a hard time, you know, and um, she was a great sport about things. And um, she just is, she just was remarkable. I just had so much admiration for her. Mm -hmm. Just, I, that was, you know, all my companions were just really neat and awesome, but there was something really special about Sister Bokamolova. Yeah. So you shared a couple of experiences. Do you have any other memories with the Brainses? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sister Brains and I, I mean, she gave me a hard time, man. So (laughs) (laughs) she kind of like would harp on me. And I don't know why, but it kind of, it was. Because you had a fringe. That's what we heard. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Sister Cooper cut it. And then I was like constantly going like this. And she came in and had a meeting with all of us sister missionaries, sister missionaries. And um, she like had me like put in a barrette so that it was constantly back. So I wasn't distracting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, but you know, I will share another experience. So this is, um, I was up at working and I was having a really hard time because we just were not seeing anything happen. And I came down to Aberdeen for, um, I must've been his own conference and I had an interview with president brains and in the interview, I just, I remember kind of sharing with him just the difficulties that I was having, the frustrations. And he just said to me, he's like, you know what, sister Samus, you're probably just a sower. You're not a reaper, you know, and somebody else is going to come along and reap, you know, all the work that you've done, you know, kind of thing. And that was kind of a hard pill to swallow, if I'm honest. Um, but um, he, he just kind of, you know, said those things. And then over the pulpit, and he was kind of like, you know, it, 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 our conversation personally was very different from then what he said over the pulpit. Because we had this really personal conversation where he was, you know, like, don't worry about baptisms. Don't worry about this, blah, blah, blah. Like, you just go and do the work. And then he gets over the pulpit later on that day. And he's like, baptism, baptism, baptism. And it was very kind of hard for me, you know, to have this dichotomy of this personal conversation versus what was said. And I remember going back to Orkney and I was kind of frustrated. Mad would be a, probably a good, you know, adjective. And I remember getting on my knees that night and praying about it because I just felt frustrated. I felt really confused about what was my purpose if I couldn't baptize. And I remember getting on my knees and just, you know, sharing with Heavenly Father this whole experience of this, you know, co- personal conversation versus what was said. And I had the this words come to me. And the words that came to me was, remember Lauren, he's on his mission too. And that was really helpful for me to put things into perspective, to help me remember he was learning just like I was learning. He was learning to be a mission president just like I was learning to be you know, a missionary and that we were, 
all making mistakes along the way and just doing our very best. And, you know, that Heavenly Father was working with these really imperfect individuals to, to make this perfect work go forward. And that was, that was really helpful for me to have that perspective. And it's, it's been actually something that's blessed me for years, actually, as I've had interactions with different priesthood leaders to help me remember that they're learning in their calling and their sphere of stewardship, just like I'm learning. And um, that was really, you know, just um, a really good experience to have that. That's another one that has stayed with me for 20 years that I'm really, really grateful for that perspective, you know, but that was such a little thing looking back on it. Like he was just so wonderful. You know, I remember being over in air and we didn't have, we were, you know, traveling by bus and walking everywhere. And the area was so big. And I remember calling president brains and being like, this is not working. You need to send a car. (laughs) And he was like, uh, okay, well, I I don't know if I have a car. And I was like, Oh, the systems have a car and they can send their car. (laughs) And he was like, you know what? You are right. They do have a car. And I said, okay, so you're going to send a car, right? Because I'm with sister McLean and she can't keep walking everywhere. And he was super gracious. And he sent the assistance car, the assistants drove it over and they took the train back (laughs) and we had their car. And, um, and you know, he just was, I think he just understood, you know, he just, I, I think deep down, he's kind of like a girl dad, you know, like he's like going to take care of his girls and, um, and his boys, he's like, tough it out, sort it out. You're going to be just fine kind of thing. Cause he just, he really listened to us girls, you know, and what our needs were. And, um, and he also gave us a hard time. He, he was up for a good laugh. You know, I just, I, you know, my sister went on her mission to Florida and she had a really hard time with her mission president. He just was really difficult. And I was so grateful that was not my experience. You know, he just was so wonderful, you know, so. That's great. I know for a certainty, Lauren, that uh, <clears throat> President Brains told me the same thing in one of, one of my uh, interviews where I was like, I'm not seeing a lot of success. He's like, some of us are sowers, Elder Hewlett, and others are reapers, and maybe you're just not a reaper. And I, <laughs> and I took that to heart because I was like, okay, well. I just am here to do the work. And and it was really one of those dichotomies of the mission where individually we all are having our own experiences in our areas with our companions and we can have our own frustrations. But when it comes to these large gatherings of missionaries, you know, the rah-rah of this is the ultimate goal. It's hard to be individual in the way in which you share your um your messages and so beyond that i just thought he did it very very well Mm -hmm. he was very good at articulating things he was very good at stepping back both physically and mentally in instances and saying hey i may have said something incorrect let me correct that or Mm -hmm. let me internalize this for a moment before i respond and those were things that i learned from him that were very, very powerful because I had a short fuse as a teenager, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, <laughs> I've become much more patient as a result, yeah. as a, as an adult. So I'm very grateful for that just as well as what your experiences that you shared. Yeah. He was just really gracious, you know, just incredibly gracious. Like when I think of like how I would describe him, just a really gracious man, you know, he was just good. Yeah, absolutely. 
<clears throat> well, Lauren, we talked for an hour and a half. I know. How long do these normally go? Like I could keep going, but like nobody wants to listen to this for an hour and a half, right? <laughs> As I've said before, you got to check the other other podcasts, and you'll be surprised at some wow. of the length, lengths of conversations we've had. But <laughs> you know, the thing that we've realized in these conversations is that many of us come with the notion that I haven't thought about these things in a long time, or I haven't given a great deal of focus on what my mission was like or what the experiences were. And then you dive into it and the spiritual vault just opens. And that's why Jack and I have loved doing this. I mean, our wives can attest that they're early on in, the, in our experience, <laughs> We were so gung-ho about it because it was just so fun to feel that that love of Scotland and to, mm -hmm. you know, reminisce on joyous times. But you brought up something early on in our conversation that a lot of other missionaries have said as well. Our mission was hard. Mm -hmm. And it was really us as a choice group of individuals called to that mission that were set there specifically because the Lord knew that we were those that could put up with a duration of time that felt so much longer when those days were cold and wet and just not much was happening. But uh, more than anything, we all had great experiences mm -hmm. and we can look back on it and with so much fondness because whether it's funny experiences, whether it's fun um, memories, whether it's spiritual moments, whether it's people that we have been connected to now for way longer than we want to admit. Mm -hmm. This is the joy of the brotherhood and sisterhood of having served in the Scotland Edinburgh mission. So yeah. thank you so very much. Well, and I just have to say, you know, I don't know what brought this on, this podcast, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of inspiration behind it, but what a gift it is to us that get to participate in it because it, like it made me pull out my mission journal, you know, which I, I really haven't read in 15 years, maybe. I mean, honestly, you know, and, right. um, and that's why I have no recollection of an airplane ride from, <laughs> from Orkney, you know, cause I'm like, I, that happened, but no, but honestly, like what a gift it is for us because there is, there is value in remembering. Um, and I, I'm really grateful for this conversation. I'm really grateful for the time that you take. I know that you have your own families and busyness yourself. And that's a gift that you've given to us and the others that have participated. In. So, I, so I, now I'm excited. I'll have to become like a podcaster and start listening to things you know um but thank you thank you so much for reaching out on a personal level zach for the, the other listeners you've just shared something on facebook tell us a little bit about what's going on with you personally oh man this is not my this is not my platform to share but uh for anyone who hasn't seen i mean i'm i'm connected to a lot of people but yeah found out about a month and a half ago um, through a number of experiences and just trying to figure out what's going on with my physical health that uh, I have a brain tumor wow. and um, that will be alleviated um, in the coming days. And yeah. I'm grateful for that. 
And honestly, more than anything, um, the conversations that I've had as a result of sharing this experience that I'm going through now have been incredibly spiritual. Um, More than anything, the outpouring of love, support, prayers, well wishes, willingness to help, just I can't say enough of the amazing people that I have in my life. And the funny thing for me is that each of them are from different phases of my life, whether it's growing up as a, as a child in my, my childhood ward or neighborhood, um, having moved from many different states in my adult life, people from Scotland, people from just the mission in general, and then people around me in my current um, my current situation. So I'm incredibly excited and I know don't, many people don't talk about brain surgery with the optimistic side of things, but that's been a mantra of mine that I have gained over the last few years where this life is hard enough as it is to have a non-optimistic um, outlook on situations it's just, it makes life that much more difficult. Um, so more than anything, I'm just more, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what life looks like without this, um, device I'll use as a term, um, that, uh, has changed my life and to see the other side of that coin, man, I'm so excited. So, Thank you for letting me share a little bit about that, Lauren. That's oh, not just, that's not that's not the essence of why we're here. We want to hear from you, but I appreciate that. Thank no, you. I think it's just really it's such an incredible and remarkable outlook to have, you know. Um, and we are all just cheering you and your family on, um, and are hopeful that as you come out on this other side of it, that there's going to be a lot of healing and you know normalcy coming back to your life, you know? So. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Lots of faith and prayers headed your way. Yeah. All right. So the, the last thing I want to say to you, Lauren, is you've identified one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I guess we could say eight companions and that's collective. Mm -hmm. We've only talked to one of them so far. Oh, 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 and just Sister Cooper. Just Sister Cooper. Okay. There's been other sister missionaries that we've had on, um, but they're not nearly as frequent. And that's obviously numbers-wise sure. that that is the case. But sure. nonetheless, the the job that we're going to put in your hands is this will be published published this week. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, publicized this week. And. Um, my my ask of you is to invite them to participate. Oh, 100%. Because I and, for sure want to hear from Sister McConkie and Sister Bogomolova. So, yeah. And Sister Breach and Sister Barker, I think, would enjoy this too. I'm not sure. as in touch with them as much, but yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and Sister that, Laird would be awesome to listen to too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I will 100% <laughs> reach out to them. Yeah. And that and that's just it. Like the the amazing reach that each of us as individuals have is a lot more effective than what I did when I reached out to you, sending you just a random message. Hey, Sister Samus, yeah. 
we'd love to have you come on and participate. And thank you for being willing to come yeah. on and give us some of your time and share with us the memories that we have of Scotland. So um, more than anything, we just want to express our love to you. We're so grateful that we were able to share in this amazing experience. So again, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much both to you, to you, you, Zach and you, Jack, you know, what, what a cool, cool experience and just such a gift, honestly. So thank you and blessings to you and your family and Merry Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. Have a very Merry Christmas come, upcoming. Yeah, it's crazy too. that it's already that time of year. I know, right? <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thanks again, Lauren. We love you. Have a good yeah. night. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.